pray. This evening's reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. <clears throat> Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And if all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Good to see you all. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for the gift of baptism. Thank you for Anya and for Becca, and Lord, for all who have been dunked in this pool. Lord, we pray that And we know that it will be the start of lives transformed because that's what you do. That's the business that you're in. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your word tonight, that you'll open our eyes, you'll open our hearts. And Lord, if this is the first time we've ever heard scripture read, may it not be the last. And Lord, may we realize that it is the source of life, the food that we all need that feeds us and feeds us and feeds us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. As a church, we've been continuing our series on Colossians. It's a letter that Paul wrote in response to a mate of his, whose name I can never get right, and I'm not going to try and start tonight. It's one of those names when you look in the New Testament and you go, I think it sounds like this, And if I say it confidently enough, uh, people might believe me. Uh, But tonight, friends, I don't have that confidence. So anyway, it's a friend uh, that Paul is responding to. And this friend uh, is a church planter. 
Uh, and the church is doing a right uh, in, uh, in Colossae, uh, and he's saying to, uh, to Paul, we've got some issues here. And what he's saying is, is Paul, we know what the cost, of cro- the cost of the cross is. We know that the life's loveliest person hung on the cross in the most brutal way for me and for my sin and for my community and for this planet. We know that. But now that we know that here, how do we start to live it out? How do we start to put this head knowledge into heart knowledge and into feet knowledge so that we can be the boots and go to the places where Jesus may send us? He's asking Paul, how do we be truly human? How do we be a life in Christ? Having explained in the previous chapters of our text that freedom was purchased, Paul doesn't just ignore his friend and say, well, good luck, mate. Over to you. Get on with it. He responds. And in his letter, we're very lucky that he did respond because we get to read the letter today and to steal its wisdom. And as he responds, he says uh, to his friend, whose name I'm not going to say, Google it afterwards, he says, mate, what you need to do is not just look down, not just look around, not just see the people in front of you and the issues in front of you, but you've also got to look up. Look up and realize that in Jesus Christ, God has turned his face to you. God is for you. And that is what the cross friend ultimately teaches us, that God is for us, not against us. You see, when Paul was writing to his mate uh, in Colossae, he was saying uh, to him this, there's much fake news out there, and there's much fake teachers out there. Don't listen to them. Don't let them remove the central figure, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who is king because his body is gone. Easter tells us that he is risen. And he told us, did he not, through the thousands of people that he met in the early days of the church, that I will come back. He told us that if you want to head in a direction, the best place to go is via King's Cross. The station will get you so far. You might have a bit of delay there, and your your fare may go up a bit. But the King's Cross I'm talking about tonight, friends, is the one that Jesus invites you to, and he invites me to each and every day. Yet, as we read our text, I think we've got to be careful here, because Paul is not just offering us a way to check out. He's not just saying, church, look, when you look up, you know, look up and don't look down. He's kind of saying, look that way and look that way. One up, one foot up, one foot down. Not sure, or one foot, I'm not quite sure how to do that. I'm not going to try and do it. But look both ways. Why is he asking us to look both ways? Well, it's because he's saying the world has many issues. The world has many opportunities. Culture needs to be Jesus-centered not Jesus emptied or Jesus absent. And when, we're, when we've got a foot in both camps, we can be plugged in to what God is doing and offer it out to society. Paul here really is telling us and inviting us and inviting you tonight to shape the ethical 
values of the culture, of the places, of the, at the, place, yeah, the atmosphere that you influence as you step into it, and to make it a Jesus-centered one, not just to leave Jesus outside, but bring him in with you. I think as uh, disciples, we are always to run, run towards culture. We shouldn't see culture as this big, scary thing. We shouldn't see TikTok as a thing that God can't be there. We shouldn't see any sort of digital technology as absence of God. If God can make the universe in seven days or whatever creation theory you assign yourselves to, do you not think TikTok and Twitter and Insta and LinkedIn, whatever social network is your, your flavor of the month, do you not think that those things are also included in the mission and the ministry of God? God is everywhere. So he's in those places too, and he wants you to influence them uh, and be the Jesus culture there. When I was being grilled by others uh, to uh, see if I, should be, if I should wear this piece of cardboard around my throat, I got uh, called into all these very scary-looking people. They weren't actually scary when I met them, but they had scary titles like Archdeacon. You know, uh, my dad's an assistant uh, archdeacon, so if you want to know what that is, speak to him tonight. Uh, and there are all sorts of uh, titles, uh, and uh, examining chaplain was one of them. And I thought, what are these people asking me? And as I spoke to them, uh, and they said, why the Church of England? Why the Church of England? I should have said, well, not the Church of England, I'll go somewhere else. But I didn't. And I went back, and I said, why are you asking me this question? And they said, well, you're, you're part of an independent charismatic church, uh, and you're enjoying it, and you're thriving there. Why are you ditching that church and coming over to the Church of England? I should have said, well, the pay's good, um, but it, it actually isn't. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. It's not. Uh, anyway. Um, so I was there in that room, and I said, I sense that God is calling me into a vocation. I sense that God is telling me, look, Craig, you know what you're good at, but what are you made to be? And he's probably asking you, some of you in this room tonight as well, you know what you're good at, but what is God asking you to be in the Jesus-centered culture that he wants to step into through you? You are his hands. You are his feet. I said the reason it's the Church of England is not the trimmings or the house or the collar, the fancy dress we get to wear. It's actually if you stand in Parliament Square uh, and as you're facing Parliament in front of you, you've got the, the kind of the treasury here uh, and a bit of Downing Street and where uh, Boris is currently living just a few doors down. Behind you, you've got the law courts, the highest law courts of the land, the High Court Justice. And to your right, you've got Westminster Abbey. And I love that idea that the Church of England at its core, you know, this Anglican movement of millions and millions of people around the world, we want to be there. We want to be in Parliament. We want to be in legislation. We want to be in justice. We want to be in church. We want to be in the core of society. Why? Because for us, having a faith isn't just a Sunday thing, is it? We don't just come to church get Jesus out of the boot of the car and say, right, come on, Jesus, it's time for holy hour. We want him to drive our car, to be in control. And if we're standing in that square saying, God, 
Be sovereign, be Lord, be the Prince of Peace in all of society. I think we open them up to things that are bigger and better than we would ever guess and do on our own. Friends, there's no level of society that is not immune from the pain of broken relationships. There isn't anywhere that the gospel goes because wherever there is pain, God wants to put his peace in. We worship, do we not, the risen, wounded Jesus. Jesus rose with his wounds, didn't he? The world's, light, the world's loveliest person carries his wounds back to the Father because he teaches us that our wounds and the shame and the muck and the pain that you and I carry and fight through day in and day out are not ignored by God, are not too unpure for God. But in the risen, wounded Jesus, we see a God who draws close, who draws near to his creation because you are his favorite thing. You are his loveliest thing. Any other faith you turn to, God remains up there. God remains too good to get in the muck down here. But Christianity says, no, Jesus stepped down to be with us, to live amongst us, and to point us back to his Father. I think Paul in our text today, there's a scary list, and we'll get to that in a minute. I think he's telling us this, that if we are to step into society and to make it a Jesus-centered one, it will look like this. If it's done well, it should be full of compassion, of kindness, and of gentleness. Why? Because we're trying to imitate Jesus and be like him and to offer him in our new hidden lives. We're trying to offer what we've got with society because it's not our gift to hold, but it's our gift to pass on. And it's a beautiful gift, is it not? This gift is a gift that tonight uh, Anya and Becca will uh, get and will receive. They'll get baptized, they will go into that water, and whatever temperature you're told officially, just take a naught off. You know, it's, it's pretty cold. Who's going in tonight? We'll pray for Simon. Anybody else? Louise, we'll pray for Louis. We'll pray for Louis. You'll see that in a minute. Where is Lewis tonight? He's not available. Anyway, it is cold. But guess what? Cold or not, it is worth it. Because when we step in water, God does something magical. It reminds us of our time when we were in exile and we were brought out of our slavery. And in that transformation of the water, God makes it holy and he washes us and he makes us clean. Why does he wash us? because he's always wanted us to be clean, to be right, to be pure, to be in our default position, not in a different position, but in the right one, which is to walk in the call of the day with our Lord and Maker. Being a Christian, knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior, shouldn't be for the weirdos, but it should be for everyone, because it's how we are made to be. 
When I look at the list that Paul offers us in verse 5, he starts to lay out some of the moral issues in that scary list that we saw of the day. I don't know about you, but those issues are still here, aren't they? We're still trying to go without God and to do it our own way. And by doing so, we create things that we're not actually proud of, that we don't actually like, but they're there because it's in our nature. And as I read Paul's list, I myself, I feel unworthy. I don't feel good enough. I want to step away, not step towards. I lust. I'm greedy. I'm a work in progress. The brilliant named American evangelist Dwight Moody, great name, once wrote this. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he or she found bread. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he or she found bread. Mr. Moody, as I now call him, and will always call him, reminds us of the meaning of baptism. Tonight, Anya and Becca will step into something that's not just spiritual, but also social. It should change their hearts. It will change their hearts. It may change your heart as you see them come out the water, as you see them start to live lives that are different in the next days and weeks and years and decades to come. Just as the Christians who were baptized in the early church removed their clothing, we're not going to do that tonight, just put that in there. When they took off their clothing, it was a, a, an outward sign of an inward transformation. And they put on new clothings to say to those who are gathered and who, those who are watching, I'm a new person. They were saying, actually, my actions are going to be different. The way I think is going to be different. I'm going to try and look up just as much as I look down and around. I don't know how you come tonight. I don't know how you arrived tonight. I don't know what weeks you've had. But I wonder tonight, are you afraid to leave your past behind? Anya and Becca will leave some of their past behind tonight. They will go down and they will come up. And as they come up, they come up with heaven rejoicing, with the angels singing, with God weeping, and with us cheering. And it's because it's the power, that resurrected grace, that will deal with their muck, my muck, your muck. And it's the shame that gets nailed to the cross because that's not where we're meant to be. You may be wondering tonight how we do this. Well, it starts with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't ascend and say, good luck, guys, you're on your own. He said, I've got to go because as I go, I will send a comforter. I will send a companion to do the heart transformation stuff, to do the bypass in here that you need. If you don't know the Holy Spirit tonight, come and chat with me afterwards. Come and chat to Jack or to Simon or to who, you know, whoever you're here with. We would love to introduce you 
to the Holy Spirit of Christ. In Anya's and Becca's baptism tonight, they will start to start a new life. They will start to allow the chains that perhaps have held them back, the chains that have told them that they are not worthy. They will step out in faith and say, no, my God is bigger. My God is bigger. The wonderful Paula Gooder, a contemporary theologian uh, who has a wonderful brain and does wonderful theolo uh, theology, uh, wrote in her Easter book called The Risen Existence, this story. Now, think of Paula as just, you know, our, our vicar on steroids, you know, and he's a smart man and a clever man and a wise man, but think of Simon, you know, at 10 times that or 10 hundred times that, and you start to meet Paula. She's wonderful uh, and very humble, like Simon. Yeah, um, um, but she's got a great brain. And the reason I say that is because as she sat around for her meal uh, one, one evening, her child, her daughter, suddenly says to her, Mummy, Mummy, how does Jesus make us real? How does Jesus make us real? I've heard about him, but how does he actually do it? And Paula, with this great mind, is thinking, right, what's the right theological response? You know, which road do I not want to go down? How do I want to land this well? How do I perhaps bring it down? Some of these big loaded words, you know, to uh, a young person's um, uh, mind. By the time she started to think about that, her daughter has landed on an answer. And the answer is this. She says, Mummy, does he draw us first? and then colour us in? Does he draw us first and then colour us in? I think this is a wonderful, wonderful summary of what will happen tonight. Anya and Becca have been drawn, they've been made, they've been formed, they've been given gifts. And from this moment on, God will turn his face towards you and colour you in and make you shine even brighter. If you're here tonight and you think that Christianity is about people walking around going, look at me, I've got it all sorted, I've been dunked, you know, check me out, you know, I've got the cred or whatever, you're wrong. Christianity is about people saying, I need help, and I've met the person who can help me. I need help, I'm lost. But boy, in Jesus, I'm found, and I'm now put on a new path. If you want that tonight, don't leave. It's available. Sisters and brothers, we have to let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is about transformation, not transactions. You don't get your card out. You don't get the new deal. You don't sign up for a new membership. You surrender. Like Jesus, you have your arms out and you let the transformative work of the Holy Spirit do it. Why? Because we simply cannot do it on our own. Many of you will know Kev, the chap who sells the big issue down the road outside Tesco's. Uh, and last year, I got to know him, and as we were sharing a few jokes that I would dare not uh, repeat here with Simon in the room, 
Um, I'm sure Simon's probably heard them before, but uh, we were sharing some jokes outside Tesco's. Uh, and he just turned to me at one stage and said, said this, you, you're one of those new vicars. And I thought, what does he mean by that? You, you're one of those new vicars. You're not like the other ones. What do you think Kev means by such a statement? I hope it's this. I hope that what Kev was actually saying to me and to you, if you were stood there too, is that in us, in the people of God, and the people who come here on a Sunday to gather but then go out during the week to live the mission and ministry of Jesus, is that we are people who are full of love, full of acceptance. We show him something that the world hasn't yet given him because it can and will never give it to him. Today is my last Sunday here at Christ Church, uh, so you won't have to hear me preach again. <laughs> oh, thank you. I've got one. There we go. That's the point. I'll pay him later. <laughs> it's my last Sunday. And as I was thinking about uh, what words I'd like to leave you with, I've got three. And these three words are dream, believe, and go. Church, we've got to keep dreaming. We've got to keep seeing ourselves as dreamers, those who think of things that the world and that even our churches have not yet thought of. Because God needs us to be adaptive. God needs us to be lean and to influence and to be agile because the world and our future planet needs us to come up with creative solutions. If we're going to make it a Jesus-centered culture, we need to dream and come up with solutions that the world perhaps hasn't yet seen because we've got a God who wants to love this world and to restore this world because he made this world. We need to believe, do we not? If Christians aren't believing in God, I don't know who will. We need to believe in his church too because he founded it and he loves it and with him behind it, it's going to win. It may look different. We may need to be more gentle with each other. We may need to be kind to each other and work hard to be kind as Christians. It won't necessarily come natural to us to be kind just because we're Christians, but we have to be. And friends, in a post-pandemic world, we have to be, do we not, the church that remains the church without walls. Let's not just reopen and go back to what we had. Let's go forward and think, how do we dream and believe in a faith that we can pass on to the next generation? And lastly, I think we need to go. We need to continue to open our eyes to this wonderful, beautiful world that we get to be a part of. We need to look up as much as we look down because we need to know that Jesus is heading home. He's heading home to this earth, to this place. So let's get busy making this place, this earth, a Jesus-centered culture. What would that look like? Well, if we do it well, 
if we put a, a little bit of effort into it, if we give it our time and our attention, our love, it will be one that's full of compassion, one that's full of kindness, one that's full of humility, one that's full of gentleness, and one that's full of patience. So friends, dream, believe, and go. Over to you.